Okay. You guys didn't disappoint. I'm proud of you. It's good. I like that. Okay, let me pray for us, and then um, while I get set up here, sorry, should have had this done earlier, and then we will get into the message. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to see Jesse and Andrew get baptized, dear God. We thank you for what that means, that it means new life in Christ, that it means uh, heirs to the promise, that it means uh, eternity uh, with them in heaven the new heaven and the new earth, dear God. We just thank you and praise you for that. Father, I pray that uh, in the coming years that you would just richly bless their lives, that they would be men who chase hard after you, dear God, that they would be uh, men after your own heart, as you said of David. And uh, Father, that you would use them to bring others to that new life in Christ. And uh, Father, just bless the time that we have here today. Uh, Let it be honoring to you. Let us make much of you, dear God. It's in your beautiful name we ask it. Amen. Okay, so if you are visiting with us, welcome. Oh, let me do it after. Oh, I can do it now. Are you going to do it? Okay, do it. No, go ahead, do it. We practice this. We're a well-oiled machine. Not. Okay. Um, It threw me off, Mark. So if you're visiting with us, I want to welcome you again. My name is Larry Stewart. I am one of the elders here. I'm on staff. I'm not normally the teaching pastor. Mike is our teaching pastor. So if you don't like me, come back next week and you'll get to hear Mike. Uh, Don't judge us by what you hear today. It's been a while since I've been up here. So how are you guys? Awesome. Yeah. You know, that's not just a rhetorical question or a way to start my sermon. I really want you to think about how you would answer that. If you and I were going to go over to PT's and we were going to get coffee, and you were comfortable with me and you were thinking you could be honest and open, and we're just going to sit down and have a cup of coffee or tea if you don't drink coffee, how would you answer that question? How would you answer that question? How are you doing? Now, some of you could honestly say, as Sally did, I'm great. I'm doing good. And I aspire to be in Sally's camp. Okay? I aspire to be... Uh, what's that? Let's go to coffee. Uh, okay, we'll go to coffee. So, Steve, Sally, and I are going to go get coffee sometime this week. And I'm going to learn her secret. Some of you could, could honestly say that. I expect most of us would probably say, it depends. What day is it? How much social media have I been consuming? Have I been looking at the news? What's going on? Am I eating right? Am I getting exercise? Am I, am I sleeping right? It depends. And there's some of us in this room that would say, you know what? I'm not doing too good. I'm not doing well at all. Uh, in fact, I am a man or a woman on the edge, and, and there are days where I don't know if I'm going to fall off the edge or not. Right? I, I would expect in a, in a crowd this size that we have the, the range of opinions and emotions. If you're in that last category, I want to tell you that I hope this is encouraging to you. Right? See what I did there? I hope this is encouraging to you. This message was meant to be encouraging to you. When I prayed about it, it was meant to be an encouragement. Now, if you're a regular here, I always tell you that I teach on things that I need to hear. 
So unless it's an el- one of the elder sermons, which we kind of get assigned, I always teach on things that I need to know, I need to hear. Because when I'm studying them, it en- I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by the, the reminders. And so this is no exception. We're talking about hope today, and that's a message that I need, and I expect it's a message that some of you need as well. So these are tumultuous times that we're living through, right? Yeah, thank you, Captain Obvious. Uh, tumultuous times, scary times. But they're not unprecedented times, believe it or not. Listen to, this is the opening of Charles Dickens' historical fiction, A Tale of Two Cities, which was about the period of the French Revolution. Some of you could probably quote these lines. They're very famous lines, okay? My, my drama coach back here is going gonna, is gonna to see how well I read them or not. Um, this is what Dickens wrote. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was a season of light. It was a season of darkness. It was a spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. Dickens wrote those lines in 1859, over 150 years ago. But it sounds remarkably like the time we're living in now, doesn't it? Sounds like it could have been written about 2020. For those of us that are in Western civilizations, we live in a time of unprecedented prosperity and technological marvels. In all of recorded history, there there has never been a civilization that is as prosperous and as technologically advanced as us. Not the Romans, not the Egyptians, not the Incans, none. We, We live in an age of marvels. This little thing right here, you know, that we all are addicted to, Uh, Actually, when I joined the Air Force, we had a computer, and it would have filled probably a quarter of this room, okay? I I can remember rolling paper tape with hundreds of little dots on it, and you'd roll that thing, and you'd roll that thing, and it would break in the middle, and you just wanted to scream, but that's what ran the computer code. We had these giant... Uh, magnetic tapes that were the size of plates, okay? More than that is in this little phone right here. You have access to everything in the world right here at your fingertips. By any measure, we are more prosperous than any civilization that has ever lived, okay? Even the poorest poorest of us are more prosperous than 99% of the people on the planet. And yet, you don't have to look very far to see signs of hopelessness, do you? You turn on the news, and there are riots, there's vandalism, there's anarchy on the streets of cities, both large and small. The COVID pandemic that we're seemingly never out of, it's caused untold misery and suffering. People have lost jobs, loved ones have died alone, endured isolation. Our nation is beset by intractable Tribalism, uh, there's still an opioid epidemic going on. You probably have not heard much about that. You know, the tumult and the churn as people lose trust in institutions, it bleeds over into other areas of life that were immune by it. You can't watch sports anymore. 
We're getting to hope, guys. Just hang with me. And as an added bonus, in the U.S., this is a highly contentious election year. Okay? So we're, we're getting ready to gear up to election season. So, and, it, and if you focus on these things, it can lead you to despair. You know, and the church is not much better than the culture. Uh, Southern Baptist Convention lost 288,000 members last year. 2% of their total membership stopped being Southern Baptist. Now, guaranteed, not all of those people walked away from the faith. But if even a quarter of those 288,000 did, that is a staggering number of people. Now, let me tell you, we believe here at this church that the Bible has prophesied this, right? God, Jesus himself said that there would be mass apostasy. And so this is not new to God. God's not surprised by it. But guys, it's still disheartening to see. When it happens in front of your eyes, it's disheartening to see people walk away from the faith. Critical race theory. If you don't know what that is, you need to get educated on that. It's replacing orthodoxy in some churches. The new Barna survey just came out, reveals that 40% of people who say they are Christians believe you can get into heaven by being a good person. 40% believe you can get into heaven by being a good person. I think Jesus might have something to say about that. Uh, you know, and again, if you dwell on that, you'll drive yourself crazy. It, 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 there is ample reason to not have hope if you look at things that way. Now, it's always helpful to define terms when you're talking about things so that when I say something, we're all on the same page. You know what I'm talking about. And it's especially true about hope because we use hope in lots of different ways. If you've got an outdoor activity planned, you hope it doesn't rain. If your garden needs water or your lawn is dry, you hope it does rain. Maybe you're hoping to get a promotion or you're hoping for a new relationship or you're hoping for a relationship to be restored. Jonathan and I are hoping to run a half marathon in October and I'm hoping to run it in under two hours. When we talk about hope, we're, we're so used to acknowledging that there's an element of doubt, there's an element of uncertainty uh, my sub two-hour marathon time depends on how well I train and how often I drive by Chick-fil-A instead of stopping in. <laughs> Which, as most of these guys will attest, is very difficult for me to do. So all the people that wait on me usually at Chick-fil-A are here. In fact, okay, a, a small bunny trail. So the other day I went, and Caleb knew what I wanted right before I even... Got, before I had even rolled my window down, he had my order. <laughs> That's pretty pathetic, isn't it? So, but you guys aren't going to see me until after the marathon. Maybe. Often. Okay. Anyway. It creeps into the way we talk about hope. And that is contrary to what the Bible says about hope. Okay, I want to put on my Bible nerd hat here for a second, please. And so you'll bear with me. So there are many Hebrew words that are translated hope. There's, there's a few. The one I want to focus on is yahal, yahal. And yahal carries a sense of looking to or for someone or something. And that someone is usually God. 
but looking to or for someone or something and anticipating that you're going to find and get a response from whatever it is you're looking for. Okay? There's not a sense of doubt attached to it. So you're looking towards God most, most of the time and you're expecting to get a response. We can see that in Psalm 38, 15, where the psalmist says, For I put my hope in you, Lord. You will answer me, my Lord, my God. So the psalmist is saying, my hope is in you. All my, all my eggs are in the basket labeled God. And God will answer me. God's going to answer me. There's no doubt. There's, well, maybe God will answer. If I prayed enough, God will answer. If I'm, if I'm righteous, God will answer. No, God's going to answer. There's no doubt. Another example is Psalm 42, 5. It says, why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. So here the psalmist is saying, my soul is dejected. My soul is in turmoil. And, and the answer to that turmoil and the answer to lift that dejection is look to God. Look to God and I will still praise him. God is going to answer me. Now the Greek word translated hope is elpis or elpizo. Uh, and it has the same connotation of confidence, trust, and expectation. If anything, the Greek word is a little bit stronger than the Hebrew word. And then where yachal was more oriented toward God, elpis or elpizo, excuse me, is most often but not always used as oriented towards a future state of believers. So, which makes sense, right? It's in the New Testament. Christ has come. We're under the New Covenant. But it's looking forward to eternal life with Christ. That's what the looking forward to is. So we can see an example of this in Galatians 5. Paul is exhorting the Galatians not to rely on circumcision to save them. The entire letter is about that. In verse 4 and 5, he says, You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For we eagerly await through the Spirit, by faith, the hope of righteousness. Now, some commentators believe that that phrase, the hope of righteousness, it has a dual meaning so that it can refer to Christ, who is the hope of righteousness, but it can also to re refer to our hope that because we have put our faith in Christ, when he returns for us, we are going to be judged righteous, right? At the great white throne judgment, you remember, God separates the sheep and the goats. So when that happens, we're going to be sheep. We're going to hear, go into the rest prepared for you. And that's the hope of righteousness. And we're going to do that because we've been deemed righteous by what Christ has done for us. Not by our own righteousness, as Jesse said, not by our own merit. It's not by anything I've done. It's by what Christ has done for me. And so the hope of righteousness is that I'm going to be judged righteous by God because of what Christ has done, and that I'm going to enter into eternal life with him in the new heaven and the new earth. Okay, now some of you that may have been way too much Bible nerd, and you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say hope. So let me see if I can get to a working definition that will maybe help us to understand that. So I'm going to suggest to you that a working definition of hope would be an attitude 
that is characterized by confident expectation of future good. So I'm going to say hope is an attitude characterized by confident expectation of future good. And I say attitude more than feeling because feelings are usually situational dependent. So if things are going well, I feel fine. If things are not going well, I don't feel fine. And when you look in the scripture, when hope is used, when it talks about hope, it's usually situational independent. It's independent of situations. In fact, a great example is in Philippians 1.20. So Paul wrote this from prison in Rome, and he tells the Philippians in the opening of the book, he tells them that his imprisonment has actually served to further the gospel and that people have more boldness to preach the word of God. And some of those people are doing it out of good motives because they want the gospel to be preached and some of them want to cause Paul pain and they want the seat of glory and they're doing it out of wrong motives. And Paul says, I don't care about any of that because the gospel is being preached and I'm rejoicing that it is. And then this is what he says in verse 21. It says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's hope was a conviction that God would honor the suffering that Paul was enduring for the sake of the gospel. Where did that hope come from? It wasn't from his circumstances. He was in prison in Rome under Nero. So the guy that used to light Christians on fire for his garden parties. So Paul was in prison. So it wasn't circumstances. Uh, maybe you'll say, well, he was Apostle Paul. Of course he had. Of course he had hope. He had seen Jesus on the road to Damascus. If I had seen Jesus on the road to Damascus, I'd have hope too in any situation. Guys, let me tell you, Paul didn't have anything that you and I don't have. Paul didn't have anything that you and I don't have. So what was the source of Paul's hope? And it's actually Peter, the Apostle Peter, who's going to tell us what the source was. In Peter's first epistle, this is how he open it, opens it. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hope isn't something we manufacture. It's our birthright as children of God. When we're born into a new hope, when we're born into a living hope, we're kind of hardwired to have hope as one of our default settings. Some of you have had children who are, uh, it seems like they came out of the womb stubborn, Right? wasn't something you did. They're just hard-headed. They've always been that way. Uh, maybe you tried to correct that out of them and it didn't work. They're just, they are, are that way. Or maybe they're artistic. Or what other? Uh, but they have some characteristic that they came out of the womb with. And it's sort of that way with us and hope. We're hardwired to have hope because we're born into, we're reborn into a living hope. We have hope not only because God is the source of our hope, but he's the guarantor of our hope. When you take out a loan, one of the things the lender wants to, 
wants to know is your ability to repay the loan. So the greater your ability to repay, the more confident they are to loan you money. The less ability you have to repay, the less confident they are, and you may not get a loan. Right? The United States government is able to borrow obscene amounts of money because the people lending to it believe that there is no chance the United States government is going to default on the loan. And the same thing applies to us and our hope in Christ. Our hope in Christ is based on the full faith and credit of God. There is absolutely zero chance that God is going to default on his promises. Listen, listen to Paul in Romans 8, which I think is arguably the greatest chapter in the scriptures, but you might disagree. Paul says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who, who's going to bring an accusation? Now, now Satan is called the accuser, of the accuser of the brethren, and Satan does accuse us, and he can accuse us all day long. He can accuse us of everything. But if you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, if God has said you're justified because of that, guys, you, are, you, are, you could not be more secure. God is the guarantor of our hope because of what Christ did. There's no higher authority to appeal to. A lot of times we talk about Satan and we, we talk about him as if he is God's equal, and he's not. We do that unintentionally. I don't think anybody actually believes that, but we say that sometimes. There, there is no higher authority to appeal to. If God says you're righteous, you put your faith in Christ, you know the old, the old saying, God said it, I believe it, that settles it? Well, that's true. In this case, if God has declared you righteous, you're righteous. If God has justified you, you're justified. They're done. Done deal. And we are justified, and we have that hope, again, not because of what we've done, because of what Christ has done for us. Because of what Jesus did on our behalf, because he was the acceptable sacrifice for our sins, because he is the mediator of the covenant, because he broke down the dividing wall of hostility, because he is the lamb that was slain and the lion of the tribe of Judah that overcame. It's not based on what you and I have done, it's not based on our merit. It's based on what Christ has done for us. So, so God is the source of our hope. God is the guarantor of our hope. But Jesus is the object of our hope. And he's the object of our hope, not just for what he's done for us, but for who he is to us. So there are a lot of things to look forward to on the new heavens and the new earth. I'm looking forward to running 10,000 miles without pain, and Bill and I are going to go for a 100,000-mile ultra marathon, which won't even, be 100, won't, won't even be an ultra marathon. It'll be like a fun run. But guys, the best thing about heaven is that Jesus is going to be there. Okay? We're going to see him as he is. 
We're going to see Christ as he is. We're going to sit at the table with him. You know, the church, collectively, we are the bride of Christ. And in the new heaven and the new earth, we're going to get to, we're going to, get to see our bridegroom. We're going to get to see the one who our souls have longed for our entire lives. That's going to be heaven. That's what's going to make heaven heaven. Right? Heaven without Jesus, it wouldn't be heaven. Bill and I could run 100,000 miles. Yeah, yeah, that was okay. That was all right. But because Christ is going to be there, it's going to be heaven. But until we reach heaven, we're not in heaven yet, whenever that is, we should act in a way that reflects that we have this hope in us. Now, I like studying theology. It's good to study theology. It's a good discipline. But there should also be some practical effects to our theology. So if there's not practical effects, then it's really not worth much. Maybe you gain some new knowledge, but if we don't apply some things, if we don't go out and do some things, then it's not worth a whole lot, no matter how good the teaching or, or what we've heard. So I want to talk about some of the effects of hope and what they should be in our lives. Um, okay, one effect of hope is that hope gives us energy and propels us forward for the works we are called to do. Ephesians 2, everybody is called to do good works. We all have different works, but we're all called to do good works. Knowing that we are secure, knowing that we have a future ahead of us, that we have eternity with Christ, that should propel us. That should give us motivation for those works. Knowing that it's not based on what I do should make me want to work harder. Right? I don't have to earn anything. Everything has already been done and given to me. So that should, be, that should give us gratitude that we want to work as hard as we can for Christ. Corinthians tells us that we are going to be judged, not, as, not in regards to salvation, but in regards to works. And what we've built with is going to be judged by fire. If we built with gold or precious gems, it's going to survive the fire. If we build with hay or wood or stubble, it's going to get burned up. We'll be saved, but everything that we've done is going to get burned up. Guys, I want to hear Jesus tell me, well done, good and faithful servant. I think we all want to hear that. The hope we have in Christ can motivate us and propel us to do that. And I want to say a qu- quick word about that. You know, Mike has talked several times in the Heroes and Villains series. Most of us li- guys live ordinary lives. Most of us live, we're not going to preach to stadiums full of people. We're not going to lead hundreds to faith in Christ. We're not going to go to the jungles of Africa or South America and, and discover a new tribe and give them the gospel. Most of us aren't going to do that. We're going to live, we're going to go to work, we're going to raise a family. We're going to do ordinary things. And doing those things well, doing those things to the glory of God, is just as valuable in God's economy as preaching to a stadium full of thousands. If we do things for God, we do things for God's glory, God will honor that. God will honor the ordinary, what we consider mundane 
Day in and day out, God honors those things. Another effect of hope is that it lessens the darkness around you. And do we need that in 2020? Uh, you know, for a lot of us, 2020 has been the year from Gehenna. And it's not over yet. There is still time. We're only in September. It seems like there's never a break from the oppressiveness and never a break from the bad news. We live in dark and tumultuous times for sure, but so has every generation of Christians because this isn't our home. Mike, again, is teaching on a series of living as aliens. We're aliens. We're sojourners here. And hope, the hope of eternal life with Christ, the hope that we are going to, that this is not our home, that insulates us from the darkness. It's like a shield from the darkness. Paul wrote in Romans 8, again, says that he did not consider the momentary, I'm going to butcher this because I don't have it memorized, but he didn't consider the momentary trials as compared to the weight of glory that he was going to experience in Christ. Right? Paul was immune. Paul was beaten. He was stoned, left for dead. He was shipwrecked. If you read 2 Corinthians, that long list of everything that Paul suffered. And listen, Paul knew that going in because on the road to Damascus, Jesus told Ananias, I'm going to tell Paul what he's going to suffer for me. Before Paul took one step on a missionary journey, he knew what was going to happen to him. And he can say, all of that was nothing compared to the glory that I'm going to experience in Christ. Guys, we can be the same way because we have the same hope. And that hope can protect us from the darkness that presses in against us. And not only us, but that hope can protect others around us. What would happen if, like Paul, we were just walking around? And listen, it's not that hope is denial. It's not that hope doesn't say things are things are not dark. It's not that hope doesn't realistically look at the world around us. It's that hope is unaffected by those things. Or if it is affected by those things, hope runs to the darkness to try to rescue people out of it. Hope runs to encourage people who are getting overwhelmed by the darkness. Hope doesn't run from the darkness. Hope runs to the darkness because it's not affected by the darkness. What would, what would it look like for us just to not be freaking out about things, about anything, not just COVID, I'm not talking about just COVID, about anything, but just to joyfully, calmly, diligently go about the work of the kingdom with smiles on our faces, unaffected by the craziness around us. What would that look like? Somebody might ask you about that. What's wrong with you? Can I get some of that? What do, you, what do you got? Somebody might ask you about that, and you might get an opportunity to share the reason for the hope that is in you. And that's something that's available to all of us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have that hope. And finally, hope also provides the ability to persevere during trial. You remember Asia Bibi? Many of you do. She's 
Suffered for eight years in a Pakistani jail on bogus blasphemy charges. And she, I think it was a couple years ago, did an interview with BBC or somebody. But anyway, in that interview, she said, I was able to hang on because of hope. I always believed I was going to get out. But even if I didn't, I was able to hang on to the hope. And while I was being beaten and told to recant my faith, the hope that Jesus would honor my suffering, the hope that I was going to see Jesus again, helped me hang on. Now, probably most of us in this room are not going to go to prison for our faith. We're not going to probably be martyrs. I don't want to say definitely not, because there's always a possibility. But we're all going to have trial. We're all going to have things that we're going to experience. And, and the hope we have is going to help us to get through those. It's going to help us to persevere through those, right? It's going to help us to, to joyfully persevere through those trials. Okay, there may be some of you here today, I said this was supposed to be encouraging, and you feel horrible. Because I'm telling you, you should have hope. And you're looking back at me, and you're saying, you know what, I'm just not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. There's just too much darkness. There's too much of this. There's too much of that. And I want to say a word to you. Because you're feeling bad. You're feeling, well, I should have hope. And maybe I'm not a Christian. Or what's going on with me? Or what's wrong with me? How come I don't have hope? And I want to put on my biblical counseling hat. And, and I want to talk to you. The first thing is, you're normal. Okay? If you have feelings like that, you're normal. It's completely normal to feel that way sometimes. So the Apostle Paul had at least two recorded instances of what we would probably say were hopelessness. As I mentioned in 2 Corinthians, where he detailed everything that he had suffered, and in the beginning of that, 2 Corinthians 1.8, he's writing to the church, Corinthian church about his time in Asia. Remember, his time in Asia, that's where he was stoned, that's where they thought he was Zeus, they wanted to sacrifice a bull to him. It's where the big riot, Artemis of the Ephesians was. All that happened in Asia. They chased him from town to town to town. Remember, that all happened in Asia. And this is what Paul was saying. He said that he was completely overwhelmed beyond his strength and that he despaired of life. He said the same thing in Philippians where he said, I... I'm torn between two. I want to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But I know that I need to stay here for your sake and for the sake of the gospel. And so I will. So it is normal to have those times where we feel like there's not a lot of hope. It doesn't say anything necessarily about your lack of faith or your lack of spiritual maturity. It doesn't disqualify you from the grace of God. So continuing with our biblical counseling, I, I want to suggest, and this may not apply to some of you, but to some of you it might, is that one of the reasons you may feel a sense of hopelessness is that you haven't taken an opportunity to mourn. Right? This has been a crazy year. Everybody has lost something. So graduations have been canceled. Weddings have had to be rearranged. 
you haven't been able to go see family because you don't know who's got COVID or not. There's travel restrictions. It has been, we've all lost something. And for some of us, we've never taken the time to mourn that. We've never taken the time to be sad about what has happened and what we've lost. And it's okay to do that. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to grieve relationships that have been strained. It's okay to grieve that I didn't get to take my vacation or I didn't get to do that thing that I wanted to do. I didn't get to experience that family event that I wanted to experience. A lot of times what you find is that peace and hope are on the other side of grief. So that you have to go through grief to get to peace and hope. And so for some of us, we need to grieve. For some of us, we need to remember and remind. We need to remember God's past faithfulness to you. And maybe you say, well, God hasn't done much for me. All right, well, I would suggest you read Ephesians 2. So once you were dead, you had no hope, and God made you alive if you're a believer. And if God never does anything else for you, that's enough. Read Ephesians 2. Read Romans 8, which says there is nothing on heaven or earth that can snatch you out of God's hands. Nothing. No height, no power, nothing can snatch you out of God's hands if you belong to him. Hebrews tells us that God's word is living and active. And so get into God's word, read the gospels, read the Psalms, read those chapters, do a word study. Again, instead of Candy Crush or whatever the game is or fake fake book or whatever, uh, get on here, get a Bible app, type in hope and it will return whatever it returns. I haven't done it, so I don't know. And just start reading. Guaranteed, guys, guaranteed, if you immerse yourself in God's word, hope will return. Guaranteed. It's the only place that you're going to find hope for this crazy world around us. Ask for help. That's probably the hardest thing I could ask you to do. Some of you guys would rather cut off your arm than ask for help. But ask for help. Scripture gives us many, many one another commands. We are not meant to be solo warriors. We're meant to bear one another's burdens. And hopelessness is a burden for some of us. And if that's you, ask for help. Let the people around you bear that burden. Let the people around you carry that. Let the people around you hope for you when you can't hope. That's what God gave us a family for. Ask people for that. And listen, on the flip side of that, if you see somebody that is obviously dealing with hopelessness, ask them. Don't just say, eh, they'll snap out of it or something will change. Go ask them about it. We're going to close with this. There's an old gospel song by Bill Gaither titled Because He Lives. And I don't, I don't want to cause you guys to despair, so I'm not going to sing it to you. But I am going to read it to you. This is the chorus. It says, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living 
just because he lives. Amen. Jesus lives. He's alive today. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's coming back for us one day. If you put your faith and you put your trust in him, you're going to live eternally in the new heaven and the new earth with Christ. That's hope. That's the hope we can live in. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and I'm going to ask you to stand while we get the screen down. And we're going to recite Romans 15, 12, and 13. Okay, let's all say that together. The root of Jesse will appear. Who to rule the Gentiles. The him that Gentiles hope. And fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.